Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. We are going to come around the Word of God and um, look, we'll be out of here by one o'clock, so just settle in. Uh, you freedom today. My name, oh, I've already introduced myself. Okay. Freedom is an amazing thing to be a part of. Um, Mia, thank you so much for following the voice of God all those years ago. I remember we were in the, we were sharing a motel room at that conference and you said, I think I probably need to give up triathlons. And then you ramped it next level <laughs> and just started doing, using those triathlons because you were thinking that you're using them for yourself. Then you use those triathlons to set people free. And so thank you so much for taking us all on the journey. Can we honour Mia this morning for that? And as I think about the fact that our church is involved in setting people free for real, like physically, that just stirs my heart. Um, but it makes me ponder about freedom and, and the fact that we're also setting people free uh, in their spirit, in their in their their captivity that they don't even know that they have. And uh, so as I began to ponder on that, probably the scripture that springs to mind uh, most for me is who the sun sets free is free indeed. You might've heard that before. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. That's found in John 8, 36. And another famous one is, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And here we have two verses that suggest that, that the readers of the Bible, we know that they're referring to Jesus, that He has come, who the Son sets free, that's Jesus, is free indeed. And that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free, that's Jesus. That He's come to set people free. And, and Jesus Himself said that at the outset of His ministry. He went into the wilderness, He underwent some tests and He'd been on the earth for a while. And then He comes to the outset of His ministry and gets back to His hometown. And you see what they did back then, they had scrolls that they read at certain times. Uh, for people who don't go to church, you might not know that there's a whole lot that we do that's in the Bible, but there's also a whole lot that we do that's just tradition. So you might have seen some people raise their hands here this morning and you're like, what are they doing? Or you might have been like, oh, so you have to start with a fast song. Now, some of those things are just the way we do things around here. But also what they were doing back then when they went to temple, they'd have a part of the scroll that they read um, every week. They had a set part of the scroll. So Jesus gets handed the scroll that he's to read from. He opens it up and then he gets to a part and finds a part from Isaiah chapter 61. And we take up the story in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and Stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And at that time, the, the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. I just imagine everyone in that room going, someone thinks he's all that. Someone thinks he's a big deal. 
Uh, they, they saw him grow up. This was his boyhood home. And here is Jesus saying, right now with me reading this scroll, this is being fulfilled in your presence. This idea of freedom. You see, Jesus understood that it was his mandate to bring and declare good news that the captives were going to be released, that the poor were going to have some help. And yes, this was written to a people back in Isaiah's time who were in captivity. But Jesus is saying what was real for them in a physical way is now going to be real for all humanity in a spiritual way. You're not just going to be set free out of your slavery and your captivity um, that is you know, very physical. You're going to be set free from guilt, sin, shame, death, hell and the grave. And this exciting um, possibility would have just piqued their interest and they would have thought, what on earth? What on earth? You see, Jesus was saying that an age has come, a breakthrough has come, that an era of salvation has come to the earth through Him. Now you might be thinking, what are you talking about? That's fine if you are. We're going to keep going. We're going to see. This is an amazing scripture for us to read at the end of Missions Month. You can, you can read it as read, but you can apply it spiritually. Absolutely good news to the poor. The salvation story should be that those who follow Christ do good to the poor. That's what this Missions Month has been all about. But it's also that those who are poor in spirit, those who recognise their depravity, those who recognise that they stuff up time and time and get again and they need a saviour, that those people who, are, who have a recognition of their poorness, that the saviour has come for them. Those who are despairing in their shortcoming and they're understanding that they're so desperately poor in righteousness that they need help, that they're doing their best is not cutting it. That's the kind of good news for those poor suckers like me that I'm talking about. I'm the salvation at hand. And then the captives will be released. This was written to a Babylonian exiled nation that they're in slavery and those captives are going to be released back to their homeland. But what's happened here is that he's, Jesus is saying, yep, that was physical. But this is also real for you. If you've been caught in something, if you've been held in something, if you're not living up to the fullness of the plans that I have for you, I can change that. And he's saying returning sight, fresh vision, fresh, fresh, fresh clarity and the oppressed set free. Jesus was ushering in a spiritual reality for all who would heed what he was saying. So it's pretty incredible. Why then are these clarifying statements needing to be made? Why does it need to say who the sun, set, who the sun sets free is free indeed? Like, like surely who the, the sun sets people free. Surely that's enough of a statement there. Why does it say who the sun sets free is free indeed? And why is there a statement made like it is for freedom that Christ has set you free? Why doesn't it just say Christ has set you free? Why do we need these clarific, clarifications? This is the mystery. The mystery is that we're set free in a moment. We're set free in a moment, but then we're also set free across our lifetime. We're set free in a moment, but we're set free across our lifetime. And I want to tell you that the biggest barrier to our freedom is actually me. Like not me, Bron, like all of us, you. Okay, you're like, you're the barrier to my freedom? Take her out. Um, no, you, we're all at the barrier to our own freedom. Why? Because Jesus invites us into this relationship to put our trust in Him. And this is the good news about Jesus. The good news of Jesus Christ is that in us putting our trust in Him, in us by faith receiving Him, that He deals with our sin. 
that He deals with our past, that He deals with our guilt, that He deals with our shame. That is His doing. That is what He says He will do. He says that, the Bible says that He died for the sins of the whole world, past, present and future. Not only yours, but your spouse's as well. Look at them and say, that was good work that He did that day. (laughs) Here we are. Jesus has said, put your trust in me. I've paid for the sins of the whole world, past, present and future. And he said, you can receive that. That is a gift that is done, that is finished, but you can only receive that as you in faith respond to this good news. And as we respond in a moment, all things pass away and behold, all things become new. Freedom arrives immediately into our life. And that, that, that's a miraculous thing that happens. But then we've got to wake up still us the next morning and we've got to walk that out. Freedom happens in a moment, but freedom happens across a lifetime as well. And so we're going to go to a story in the Old Testament. We're picking up where we left off last week. And if you love the Old Testament or you're completely confused by the Old Testament, feel free to watch last week's online. And if you remember, we're going through uh, the sea, the Red Sea, Jesus, oh, sorry, Yahweh, God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites went through on dry ground. And there were all these miraculous signs and wonders that took place. Now I'm reading the Bible with a friend and he just thinks that the Old Testament's just all fairy tale or at best analogy. And, uh, and, and that's fine with me. I've got no problem with that. Uh, we can still read the Bible together. And, um, and, but, but when I approach the Old Testament, I approach it from the posture of God can do anything and what is God wanting to tell me so that I can then apply that to my life? That's my posture. I'm not trying to pick holes in what it is. I'm trying to um, see what's there and what's the lesson for me. And then how do I apply that to my life? So these massive group of people that have just been literal slaves in a nation in Egypt passed through miraculously a sea and that have come out the other side. And now they're at a place called Mount Sinai. Two months after they've been, after they've left Egypt. And after Moses has been talking to God, he's been invited up to talk to God. And God said, I want these guys, the people that you're leading to be my special set apart nation. The whole earth is mine. I'm God. But I want these people to be my treasure is what the Bible says in that, in that passage. And, And I want them to be a treasure to me. And so, but they have to do what I ask. They have to enter into a relationship where they do what I say. And Moses goes back to the people and said, look, this is God's, And it's very much proposal language in the Hebrew. This is God's proposal, like a marriage proposal to you. What do you guys think? And they're like, yes, we say yes. And please go tell him, go tell him yes. And so Moses goes back up and says, yes, they they want to. They want to enter into this relationship with you. And God says, well, they've got to get ready. There's going to be something amazing happen. Let them get ready. Tell them to all go wash their clothes, get ready. Like this is like a getting ready for a marriage. Here's a weird thing that he says, um, Tell them not to have sex for the next few days. And uh, some of the people there would have gone, are we sure about this God? And other people would have gone, I'm really sure about this God. Um, but they're getting ready and, and let's like... This was speaking to the set apart, set yourself apart for me and um, take this seriously. And so then Moses goes back up the mountain and then all of a sudden this epic stuff starts happening up the mountain. Like there's this, like this volcanic activity, but there's no volcano. There's shaking, there's smoke. Uh, your Bible will say that there's lightning, but every other place, it's the only place that it's translated as lightning. Every other place that that word is used, it's like a torch. It's a torch that passed through um, the covenant of Abraham Ham uh, when the animals were there, if you know that story. But if you don't, it doesn't matter. There was like this torch that was there and there was this thunder and that word thunder is used 
interchangeably in the Old Testament with the word voice. So there was like this voice that was speaking and there was thunder and there was smoke and there was lightning and it was all crazy. And as you can imagine, it was pretty scary. And there was this ram's horn blowing, but no one was blowing the ram's horn. It was just... I'm pretty sure that's how they sound, having never blown a ram's horn. But... Um, but they, they, and then God gives them the Ten Commandments. And I'd say, well, why would He give them the Ten Commandments in the midst of that? Well, in Hebrew marriages, you had what you called a ketubah, which was an agreement. Now, we these days, our marriage vows are so vanilla. It's like, um, I promise to hold your hand and to always be with you and keep our spark alive. And I promise that you're my person. You just are. And uh, time is always on my side when I'm with you. They're our vows. God's vows are like, well, I promise to be with you always and to protect you and never forsake you. But your promise to me needs to be that you'll put no other gods before me. I want you to be a faithful people to me. And I want to set you up for your best life. So I want you to agree to honor your parents. And I want you to agree to all these things, 10 things. I want you to agree to that for you to live your best life. Life. And, um, and, and there's this ram's horn going on and there's the sound and there's the thunder and everything's going on. And God says, Exodus 20 verse 18, it says, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear as you would. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And it says, as the people stood at a distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. Anyone else getting Gandalf vibes? Like, shh, like Moses coming to the... No. <laughs> Me neither. Um, so here's Moses and, and God's saying to the people, you're ready for this. You're ready for this. Come close. And they're like, no way. We are too terrified. Now, I, I want you to excuse the vernacular of this statement because I don't let my children say this. They say it all the time. I keep telling them not to. They're very disobedient. Please pray for us. But you know what? Moses was trying to take the people up there and they were supposed to go there because God is supposed to scare the crap out of us. He is supposed to get the stuff out of us. He is saying, you're supposed to come, you're supposed to come close in this way because God wants to refine you and stop you from doing the things that you want to do yourself. Actually, He wants you to enter into the scariness or the, the, or the deepness of who He is because He wants to refine you. He doesn't want it to be all up to you. He wants to take you deeper in Him. Well, yeah, sure, very, very scary, but that's what He wanted to do. Why? Because He cared for them. So the biggest barrier to my freedom, like it was for these people here, they were invited into this deeper relationship with God, but they were too scared to go there. Now, we might not be too scared to go there, but we might be very comfortable where we are. We might be like, God's like calling you deeper, calling you forward, calling you further. You're like, I'm pretty good, thanks God. I like it over here. You keep going, oh, that's more freedom. I'm comfortable with the level of freedom that I have right now. You keep going, God. Uh, do what you do best, but I'm going to stay over here. Now, the context then of who the sun sets free is free indeed. Is Jesus talking to a bunch of people who the Bible says they believe in him. 
And, and once he's talking to people who believe in him, that's when he shifts from being a guy who's really displaying love and loving everybody equally and sitting down with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and, and, and sharing with them. But when people believe in him and follow after him, that's when he switches to challenge them because he wants them to grow and change and he doesn't want to leave them where they are. And he begins to talk to them and say, hey, you know what? Um, like there's some stuff going on and he confronts them with things that are in their life. And he says, who the son sets free though is free indeed. And they hate the confrontation so much that they make the whole conversation about something else completely. You can read it in John chapter eight. And, and they don't react well. They took offence at Jesus saying this. They took offence at being called out on their rubbish because it was too confronting to them. And so here's Jesus offering them freedom. But hey, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And they end up calling him names and turning their back on him and going somewhere completely different. Then in Galatians 5, where Paul is saying, um, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He's saying, you've been set truly free but you're retreating back into this place where you're slaves again to the law and you're comfortable more with the do's and don'ts and the ticks of the box rather than this deep, free relationship with me. And he's saying, hey, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't retreat back to that place where you feel more comfortable and you feel more at ease. But in fact, I'm bringing you into a greater place of freedom. Galatians 5 verse 1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So today I want to give you two things that you're free from and two things that you're free for. I might do three if I can't help myself, but we'll try to stick to two and two. The first thing that you have is freedom from fear. You have freedom from fear. The Bible tells us again and again and again, do not fear. Yet what is one of the first things that creeps in when we hear bad news? Fear, right? Fear. Do you know how many times the Bible says do not fear? 365, 365. There is a verse for every day of your year. Now, February 29, that's a nightmare. But, uh, but every other day of the year is covered. Can you believe it? God wants you to live a life free from fear. He wants you to live a life completely free from fear. We saw last week where he said to his disciples, stay calm, stand firm, be still, let the Lord himself fight for you. And he says again and again and again, right across his word, do not fear. Sometimes I get worried. Like, sure, God, I can trust you, but people are tricky. Sometimes I get anxious in the waiting when there's nothing I can do. Sometimes I get nervous for my children's future. Sometimes I'm troubled about my health. Sometimes I'm agitated about a situation. I have a lot of different names for my fear, but my God tells me over and over and day in and day out, do not fear. He says that you can actually live free from fear. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 6 says, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Deuteronomy 3, 22 says, Do not be afraid of them. The Lord, your God himself will fight for you. Do not fear. You can live free from fear. Today, if you struggle with fear, you can walk out of this place free from fear. It can happen in a moment and it will happen in a lifetime out there. You can live free from fear. You know, when I think about fear, I just want to channel Luke and Sarah Bennell. They're not here this morning. There's just like nothing 
causes them to fear. Nothing. I still, I'm, I've got this, um, I'm leaving for New Zealand at one today and um, I've got to go on a hike. I, I booked badly. Georgie McDonald warned me not to do it and I did it anyway. And I'm, I arrive at, in Wellington at one o'clock in the morning and the, the ferry to Picton leaves at two. And I was like, oh, that's heaps of time. 20 minute Uber, what could go wrong? I've only got carry on luggage. And then I printed out my ticket and it says the last check in is at one for the ferry. I'm like, no, like I've literally booked everything as a result of me getting to Picton on time. And I'm like, ah, and, and I was going fine. I'm like, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. And, um, but then this morning I started to, I was like, oh man, I really think this isn't gonna go well. And I started to listen to this thing of, oh man, what am I gonna do? Now, this is a very stupid example. Just let me tell you, I'm um, running on little sleep. But, um, but really I was like, and, and then I just went, you know what? I'm gonna channel Luke and Sarah. It'll work out. It's fine. It's totally fine. That's how Luke and Sarah live their lives. And I, that's how I wanna live is just, it'll be fine. It'll work out. Now, obviously you should book better and listen to your travel agent. But, but I, I don't wanna let the, the, that fear, which is often a spirit come at me and grip hold of me. And I, I wanna live free and completely free from fear. And we can, and we will. Okay, we are free also from regret. Regret in and of itself is good. It just means disappointment or sadness over something that's happened. But the regret that I'm talking about is that crippling, waking up and remembering what you did said, that causes you to feel debilitated, that causes you to feel disqualified, to feel depressed, that brings death to your dreams and your destiny, that kind of regret that just is like this ever-present ticking over in your mind of something that you've did, done. God does not want you to live like that. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, shout it out if you know it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Godly sorrow and sadness is okay, but you are free from condemnation. You are free from regret and you are free for some stuff as well. Freedom to, in the last few minutes that I have, freedom to fight. Freedom to fight. I'm going to get the team to come with me. Uh, now we're about to wrap. Freedom to fight. No fear. Free from fear, no regret, free from regret. Now you're a warrior and you're free to fight, to fight for your freedom, fight for your family, fight for your city, fight for your nation. <clears throat> I might say, Bron, you just said God's going to fight for us. And you said we're already free, so why do we have to fight? We don't have to fight. We get to fight. We get to fight. Uh, Nehemiah says this in, in verse 6 of chapter 4, I believe, yes. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, about there somewhere, for the people worked with all their heart. They're rebuilding the wall of a city. But when these bad guys, these slanderers, these annoying people called Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. We, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the labourers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and kill them and put an end to the work. I don't know about you, I'd be starting to fear. I'd be starting to regret starting to build that wall. Then it says, 
Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So there's opposition without and now there's opposition within as well. This is Nehemiah's response. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points at the wall at the exposed places, posting them by their families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that they were, that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So in answer to your question, yes, God will fight for you, but you get to fight too. And remember, the enemy is real, but not in this room. And in every room you go into, the enemy is real, remember that, but they're not in that room. So we need to fight where the real enemy is, where the real battle is. We waste so much energy and time getting angry, frustrated and annoyed, but we could spend that energy winning spiritual battles, which let's face it, is most often in us. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As my great nephew would say, what the heck? (laughs) But, But tell me that you've never felt some kind of presence of evil. There is an enemy, but they're not in this room. So let's not waste time using our freedom to fight people, but using our freedom to take authority where we have it and where it matters. I bought these rings this week that say no weapon, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I bought it for my daughters and I bought it for my husband, but I knew that it wouldn't fit him. So really I bought it for my son because Daz has toes for fingers. (laughs) Nothing fits on his fingers. Um, um, But we have to get specially made, especially made wedding ring. But um, he's just so strong. That's the problem. Um, And um, so I gave it to Locke. It's no weapon. And I was standing in line with my friend and she's had a lot come against her children, a lot of stuff going on in their family. And uh, I said, oh, what are you going to get? And she said, I don't care. I'm just going to make sure that the ring fits over my middle finger because I want to point it directly at the devil when I need to. And uh, no weapon formed against you will prosper. We, We fight, but we fight in a different place from a different landscape. Finally, freedom to rest. That's the last one, freedom to rest. Not a walking contradiction. I'm just saying that we're fighting from rest rather than for rest. Worldly efforts are fight, 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 rest, 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 holiday. But we're fighting from rest. We've been given rest. God has won the victory. We're just waiting for it to be outworked. And we fight from rest and not for rest. And okay, yes, I can't help myself. One more, freedom to serve. Because Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So we're going to pray now. And I want to remind you that it happens in a moment and it happens in a lifetime. Five weeks ago at a conference, I came out the front when no one else was and I knelt on the floor and I believe that God said, you're going to get up changed. And my confession was, I don't get annoyed anymore and I don't worry anymore. And I didn't for five weeks. Things that happened, I go, oh my goodness, I don't worry anymore. Oh my goodness, I don't 
wow, I, I don't get annoyed anymore. This is clearly God working in me because that is not my nature. And then in the last four weeks, I've never had more opportunity to be annoyed and worried. And it was like God gave me this beautiful honeymoon period of the change that He'd made. And He's like, okay, now you outwork it. Now it's up to your choice to keep living it. And I have failed and I've succeeded and I've failed and I've succeeded. And I believe that God wants to do something in you that you will happen in a moment and then happen in a lifetime. That you'll actually have to outwork and work it out. Okay, so um, let's come to our feet as we pray. We're going to pray firstly, um, and maybe you want to bow your head and close your eyes just to block out any distractions. I want to pray firstly for those who uh, would say, I've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Because that is the best freedom that you could possibly walk into. That is freedom from your past. That is freedom from guilt. That is freedom from um, death. Because the Bible says that God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not die, not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if that's you today, you say, yeah, actually, I want to put my trust in Jesus. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to follow Him. Would you just slip up your hand because I want to pray for you. And uh, awesome, great, great, fantastic. Anyone else here this morning would say, yes, I would love to follow Jesus. All right, that's fantastic. I'm going to pray and then the band are going to lead us and then we'll pray again. Lord God, I just thank you so much for these people who decided to put their trust in you this morning. Lord, in a moment, you've set them free, Lord. In a moment, you've given them a new uh, way of living, Lord. You've given them, uh, they are a new creation in you, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for that. And I thank you that you're going to take them and uh, Lord, you are committed to them and you're never going to leave them or forsake them, but you're going to grow them and you're going to change them from the inside out. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. I pray that you'd put the right people around them. I pray that you'd bring the right support around them. But Lord, that they would just know that you are right there fighting on their behalf in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for these people in Jesus' mighty name. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.